0: This is really exposed that we are not gods, right? This is really exposed that we don't know as much as we think we know. We're not in control the way we think we are. And my goodness, my life is a great example of that. I wake up every day thinking I'm in control. I'm the master of the universe. I'm, you know, I'm going to live forever. And there's none of those things are true. Um, And it's, it's a, it's a false reality that is really damaging.
1: Hello everyone. This is Chris Powers. And I want to thank you for joining me on The Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business investing and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas not often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you by emailing us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. All right, well, let's. Uh, we'll, we'll get started, and um, I know yeah. your time's precious, so we'll we'll get through it. I appreciate you doing this. Of course. I'm excited about it. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for being on, Brent. So was there a specific moment that you remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this thing is is real and some one of those moments that you'll remember the rest of your life?
0: Well, it, certainly uh, I've been tracking it in February and you know, sort of get, getting more and more concerned. I remember telling my wife in, in early February, I said, gosh, the, the way that the, the, the Chinese are dealing with this, just it feels like something more than nothing. You know, it feels like a big deal. And so I kind of kept tracking it, tracking it. Um, I was at an investor conference um, in Wyoming. And we had dinner that night um, before the conference, and and I was you know just chatting, chatting with a, a few different uh, hedge fund managers and people different people in finance, and the level of panic amongst them was dramatically higher than I had heard uh, you know pretty much you know amongst any other group, and that really was the signal to me that they had a lot of I mean some of these guys had had primary operations in China, uh, good research you know uh, operations in that was definitely a tipping point. I sent my um, uh, my team a note on, see, it was March fifth, that said, "Hey, I don't know where we start, but I think we got to start doing something, and we need to start planning and preparing for this because I think it's a real thing." Um, and so that was, you know, sort of March fifth, you know, and then everything snowballed from there. So I, I certainly remember. I mean, there's definitely this moment of like, "Oh no, it's going to be something more than nothing," and that was probably it.
1: Yep. What data are you seeing that is most alarming to you? You've been posting a lot across what you're seeing from banks and unemployment, but what are some of the points that are most alarming to you right now?
0: I'd say the most alarming is just what I'm seeing sort of boots on the ground in operating companies. And, you know, we have a lot of relationships. We have obviously our own portfolio of nine companies and um, we're, we're, we're holding up much better than I expected. I mean, certainly demand is softened across the board. Um, some you know, businesses worse than others, but uh, we're we're okay. We're we're doing okay, and but we you know we have a lot of relationships with other owners and operators and people we've talked to through the years, and just been really trying to call them and talk to them, you know, sort of owner to owner level about what they're seeing. And it's tough. I mean, I think if you have long lead cycles of sales, you, you know, you're sort of not going to see it immediately, right? I mean, if you're under contract for um, something that's not dramatically immediately affected, um, so like in construction, you're going to keep, keep keep you know building, um, you know, assuming you're in an area that you can. You know, I, anybody who's in sort of quick feedback loop businesses, um, certainly anything in hospitality or travel or anything like that, it's just obviously getting uh, getting decimated. And I think that you're starting to see the knock-on effects, you know, over the last 24 hours, the, you know, tech scene has had a tremendous amount of layoffs, um, sort of very publicly. And I think it's unfortunately just beginning, you know, I think that people are trying to hold that hope right now that this thing passes, you know, relatively quickly. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what that exactly means, but you know call it within a month or two, and then you know sort of life gets back to normal. I think that it's certainly a possibility that that would happen, but I just don't see the path forward if you look at the you know therapeutics that that are that are in the space. Um, I mean, there is some I guess good news coming out in that space uh, for some of the therapeutics, but I don't think anything's you know sort of on the front burner ready to be de- deployed, especially deployed at mass scale. And um, you know we solve testing problems in the United States. And a vaccine is at a minimum, you know, 12 months away, uh, probably closer to two years away. So I think that, you know, we've all got to sort of look at this thing and say, OK, what's the reality in front of us? Uh, not put our heads in sand. I certainly don't want to be a you know, doomsdayer. Um, I think that we'll get through this very bullish long term on the United States. Um, this is certainly not the worst, you know, crisis to face the world over the last hundred years, uh, obviously. Right. And so we'll get through it. Um, But, but I do think that on the ground, I mean, people are having to make really hard choices. And I think if you, unless you've operated a business, it's difficult to understand what owners and operators are going through right now in trying to make decisions around, you know, do you cut, you know, you've already cut the fat. I mean, everyone's already cut as much fat as they possibly can. Probably at this stage, everyone who needs to is cut you know, almost as much muscle as you possibly can. And now the question is, you know, you got the bone saw out and, you know, where do you start cutting on bone? And I think that's the, the tough part is trying to come out of this thing, having cut as little bone as you possibly can. But at the same time, if you cut too late, uh, you may lose everything. For sure. And so it's really a guessing game and it's tough. And I, you know, my my, my heart goes out to uh, all the people right now that are, you know, kept up in the middle of the night trying to think through, you know, do I cut this or cut that? and What does it mean? And what are the consequences? And, you know, trying to triangulate the information. So. I would say just, uh, you know, it, it's it's fine to read articles. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Twitter for me, I, I enjoy kind of being in a slipstream of information, but that's not real life. Uh, real life's what's happening on the ground in these businesses. And, and it's um it's really challenging.
1: No, it's it's Main Street and, and what you read in the, the media right now or in the stock market could not be two kind of different realities. I, I haven't talked to a small business owner in a month that, resembles anything close to what we've seen in you know the stock market or some of those news over the last few weeks it's it's been you know it's it's dark right now um yeah it is dark. you invest in small businesses your world is small businesses um you did raise a fund which which makes you uh you know you're, you're open for business looking for opportunities at the same time you're very transparent that this isn't a heads I win, tails you lose situation. You're trying to create win-win situations. How do you invest in a market like this where it it is a win-win situation given the advantage probably appears to be more on your side?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, so there's a fine line between being a, a loan shark and a white knight right now. Um, I mean, I think the only thing that we we can do is make an offer that we feel comfortable that we can close and know that we can close and not waste these time um, and if that offer is attractive, then fantastic. And then it's not, it's not meant to be an insult. Um, it's kind of a tact we've taken. Um, with that said, we certainly don't want to um, set up a situation where, where the seller, uh, you know, our future partner is going to feel taken advantage of. And so I think it's it's really, I mean, there's the numbers side of it, and then there's just the people side of it. And for us, the people side's always been important. Um, in fact, I would argue it's been more important than the numbers side. And we just continue that, you know, down that path. I mean, we uh, we're very careful to hear kind of how people are reacting to different pieces of information uh, and reacting to uh, sort of the reality that that's here. I mean, everyone's got to go through kind of a a mourning process, right? Uh, I still have friends that that I mean are it's happening daily who are like. Oh no, you know, here here's all the things that are happening. I'm like, yeah, where have you been? Yeah. Correct. I mean, this is this is what's going on. I think there's still a lot of people out there um, that haven't adjusted to sort of a new normal or just wish reality was different. In terms of valuations, I mean there's there's kind of a couple ways to think about it. One is, you know, opportunity cost of capital. So comparatively if you sort of everything trickles down from opportunity costs right ultimately and when you look at it the opportunity cost of investing in other asset classes um, have gotten relatively more attractive over the last you know based on price declines and for so the most part the capital markets uh, as we were talking about a little bit before starting to hit record they're pretty locked up um, I don't I don't know many people who are you um, getting deals done. I mean, I think they're, they're getting done. I think that a lot more equity is having to be injected. And I think there's a lot of people who are just having to just walk away right now. And so, you know, when you kind of look at it, our our philosophy has never been, Hey, we're going to pay what everyone else is paying just because everyone else is paying it. We've always been, in fact, we, you know, we could have gotten 30 deals done last year. if We would have just, you know, bid what they asked for we've just been always very cognizant of what we think uh, a business is worth and making sure that we uh, know our opportunity costs and then offering what we feel like was fair. And to be honest, over the last couple of years, uh, we've lost a lot of stuff because somebody else was coming in and and valued it more highly than we did. Uh, A lot of those people were valuing more highly because they're using a lot of debt. And um, I think now those, um, you know, those players are going to be washed out. And so, you know, the, that's sort of, I guess, in some ways, the good news for us. The bad news is, if you have a, a really good business and you don't have to sell it right now, you're you're just not going out to market. There's no way you're not looking for for a buyer. Um, you you know that there's going to be uh, challenging price dynamics right now, and so there's a selection bias right now of of people who are you know in in dire straits. And to be honest, it's mostly the businesses that weren't doing well before this all hit, which you know. Um, that's that's also a whole challenging, you know, set of challenging circumstances. So, you know, what we're trying to do is look at each each opportunity individualistically. Um, you know, we certainly are having lots of conversations and and trying to be helpful regardless. I mean, I think our, you know, our mentality is just try to be helpful, um, try to get people through things that you can, and um, ultimately, kind of all comes out in the wash. So, we'll just keep doing our thing.
1: Yep. If you do have a business in front of you right now that that is uh, interesting or something that y'all want to move forward on, is there any additional filters besides, you know, the, what does your business look like with no revenue for six month filter? That seems to be the, the new one uh, that you're kind of adding into the questions that, that you would ask in buying a business at a time like now.
0: I mean, I think it's a variation of that question. I mean, I, I don't think we're looking at what is a business, if a business is not going to have any revenue for six months, uh, you know, I, I doubt that we're probably seriously taking a look at it because there's not that many businesses right now that are like that. I mean, you know, businesses have some revenue right now. It may be you know, pretty dramatically reduced uh, temporarily, hopefully. I think what we're trying to figure out is, is two things. What is the working capital needs uh, to kind of bridge, bridge that gap, right? So how much capital do you need to keep in the business to just keep the lights on, keep going, absorb some losses in the short term? So we're definitely doing that analysis across the board. And then, you know, the, the other one that's interesting is the new normal question. So, what does the new normal look like? You know, I, I I don't think we're going to be in a position, at least before a vaccine, to have a quote unquote fully recovered economy. You know, back to like you know end of two thousand nineteen levels. And so, you know, if that's the case, then then what does it look like? And I mean, certainly that environment favors higher margin businesses, a much better chance of survival. I mean, if you you know this, Chris, but if you have a, a sort of an operating stack with maybe, you know, six, 7% margins and you lose 10% of your revenue, I mean, you're likely out of business, right? Um, let alone maybe a new normal that's 70 or 80% of normal, right? And so, you know, I think you're going to see a, a pretty heavy washout uh, amongst low margin businesses as well. And so that's another thing we're thinking about is just, you know, what. What are the margins historically? And then, sort of, who's going to survive? Now, if you do survive, there's always silver linings, right, to all this. If you do survive, your margins are likely going to expand, right? You're going to have uh, pricing power. So, anyway, those are all kind of all the prisons we're looking through. And, and also, it's difficult because you can't meet the person face to face, right? Our target audience is, is not, uh, um, uh, how do I say this, uh, technologically advanced, <laughs> yeah. um, right, in their use of uh, technology. And so, we're having to, to do a lot of Zoom coaching uh, on, you know, how to get things set up and, and how to make sure that, uh, that we can have conversations and, um, trying to figure out what, h- how to make, you know, heads and tails of reality that, you know, that the reality represented in the balance sheets and income statements is just going to be different than it is now.
1: So you created safe Harbor, uh, which, you know, was a, a little bit, I, I would imagine a, Uh, not a pivot, but a different product that you've offered in the past. You typically buy the controlling interests of a business, but Safe Harbor allowed you to work with companies um, by not having to maybe take full control. Can you just paint a little picture as to what Safe Harbor is and any interesting things that have come of it?
0: Yeah. So we've had lots of great conversations come out of Safe Harbor. Um, so the, the idea behind the program and when it was launched, there's really no availability of capital. This is before um, the government had had released uh, the CARES Act. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was it was a time when we thought, OK, well, if we were a business owner, what would we need? And there's some businesses that just needed a short term capital bridge uh, over, uh, you know, choppy water. Right. And so Safe Harbor was, was you know, if you could use more, $3 million or more uh, of capital, that was kind of our minimum, um, then we would you know, talk to you about what, what how can we structure it? I mean, we still need to generate a return for our investors, but it, it would be maybe structured as debt, maybe structured as a royalty, uh, maybe some warrants in there. I mean, you know, we get creative as how can we get you some capital? And uh, depending on what happens uh, in the future, um, you know, we can be protected uh, to some degree. I mean, certainly willing to take risk, but you know, help help good companies get through bad times. I guess is, is the way to describe it. Since then, the the governments obviously stepped in with the bazooka yep. and so, sort of a, a never ending uh, uh, reloading bazooka. And so, that, to be honest, I mean, just frankly, the safe harbor program. A lot of the conversations we were having uh, have been replaced by uh, funding through the the CARE Act or CARES Act, excuse me. And so uh, that's fine. That's great. I mean, like, look, we're <laughs> we're happy that the business owners are getting through this. We would much prefer to set up long-term uh, traditional relationships the way that we've seen them work well in the past. And it certainly was a, you know, if you want to call it a pivot? It was, it was, it was an effort as a program specific to the time that we thought could be helpful. And I think it would have been helpful and it could be helpful in the future. Certainly right now, we would encourage everyone to find alternative means of financing, uh, especially if there's very cheap government programs that are being put forth, um, as opposed to coming to us first, right? And so a lot of the conversations we've had, you know, just are, hey, let's just call time out. You go do that thing, get your funding through them. Let's talk in six, eight weeks, right? And see where we are. So that's kind of where the, the program has landed.
1: Got it. It's funny. It seems like it was so long ago uh, that that you launched that. It was It was really only, what, three or four weeks ago, and the world's moved pretty quickly since then.
0: Every day's a new
1: day. Yep. Just to talk about permanent equity, just for a little bit, y'all. Since this has started, you have been known for writing and putting out fantastic essays. But in the last thirty days, I was on your website yesterday. You've you've put out eight essays. Uh, you've created a toolbox for small businesses, and just continue to be a goldmine of information and resource for the small business community. One, thank you. Uh, but two. How do you guys, from a cultural standpoint, how do you know what to write next, and how do you continue to just publish kind of Golden Nugget after Golden Nugget? Is <laughs> it just part of the culture? are you guys up all night? It just seems like you put a lot of stuff out there in a short period of time
0: yeah, well so well thank you first. Um, I'm glad that uh, um. Glad that somebody's noticing. Uh, we, we try really hard to, to be helpful. And the way we think about content is just scaling conversations. So how do we decide what to write on? It's just where are our conversations that week. And we've been having lots of conversations, as you can tell. So you know, every time we have a conversation that was, oh, that's that's really illuminating, or there's something to that, you know, we try to memorialize that in in a in an article that we can then share with other people in an effort to scale that conversation and and, and genuinely help them. So you know the team uh, is fantastic look I'm'm I'm, I'm genuinely when I say this is not a false humility I'm like one of the least talented people on the team now and um, and so you know everyone's got their own you know different kind of expertise right it's it's like uh, you know it's beautiful to watch right yep. our finance team really knows what they're doing on that side our operations team on that side um, certainly a deal on the marketing side it's just it's really exciting to see and so you know I, I think what you're seeing is a lot of people being able to express their their talents and and being able to um, provide a megaphone for conversations that otherwise, you know, just wouldn't be had. So we're hoping to continue it. I mean, look, it's it's tough. We've got, we've got nine companies that we need to be faithful to. And we've got a lot of, you know, new deals and new uh, new opportunities coming in the door daily. And so it's a, it is a struggle sometimes to kind of balance everything and try to be a good good citizen as well.
1: Well, it's appreciated. And I've, I've sent your, I probably sent every single one to my close YPO forum and several groups, and I continue to get amazing feedback off of each one. So yeah, thanks for saying that. It's getting out there. Um, What is the biggest challenge that you face today uh, that you feel you lack wisdom for?
0: Mm. I mean, I, I think that from a macro standpoint, it's just, where's this thing going? I mean, every day I'm, I'm updating my priors, right? It's kind of like, a, it's a form of Bayesian updating and trying to say, okay, if I was here yesterday, where am I today and what information would move me? And I think there's so much choppiness in, in, and noise out there in the world right now. It's really tough. I mean, I, I'd say I, you know, I pray for wisdom daily that somehow God would give me the ability to see clearly wherever this is going and, um, give me the wisdom to, um. Make good decisions, and you know, be kind and generous in the time when it's really hard to uh, do anything else other than think about yourself. Right. I think that's been a challenge for me. You know, you wake up every day and selfish and self-focused, and and trying to figure out, you know, gosh, I am in such a cr- incredibly blessed situation. Right. I've got three healthy little girls. You know, wife that loves me, and 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 we're safe. Right. Plenty of food, a roof over our head, and and look, uh, there's a lot of people who don't have you know, a tenth of that right now. And 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 so we're, you know, I think one of the things we're trying to talk about internally here right now, and especially, you know, with my wife as well, is just how do we help people? Like, what does that look like? I mean, it feels terrible. Like, how do you love your neighbor when you can't see your neighbor? So I think those are just, you know, in terms of wisdom, I mean, I think that's sort of the, from a macro sense just what's going to happen is so dependent on a, a, such a myriad of factors, which we have no control over and very little insight into. Um, I mean, what we know is that all the projections that were done pretty much to the single one were way off by, by almost a magnitude order. Um, you know, we shouldn't be having a tremendous amount more cases, more deaths, everything. Now, I mean, I think you can argue on the other side, that the, the, it's just social distancing and, and the steps we've taken have been effective. Well, that's great. Um, you know, that, that, you know, <laughs> either that's the option or it was, or it was, uh, less deadly uh, than we thought it was. Um, And so either way, I mean, I'm very encouraged on the, on the actual virus itself. Um, Certainly it's not the flu. Certainly it's way worse, you know, all of that. I'm not not equivocating. Um, But I think that it's something that it looks like will be manageable. And um, yeah, hoping that, hoping that, you know, God gives us wisdom to manage through it.
1: I love it, man. Well, you might've answered this question then, but I'll ask it anyway. If you could consult a crystal ball and ask it one question about the future, what would you like to know and how would that change what action you're taking today?
0: <laughs> uh, well, you got to go to the Charlie Munger one, right? Which is uh, tell me where I'm going to die so I don't go there. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, look, I, I think that the, the crystal ball, uh, we don't have a crystal ball. And I think that honestly, like maybe to, to slightly change the, the, the question, I mean, this is really exposed that we are not gods, right? This is really exposed that we don't know as much as we think we know. We're not in control the way we think we are. And my goodness, my life is a great example of that. I wake up every day thinking that I'm in control. I'm the master of the universe. I'm, you know, I'm going to live forever. And just, none of those things are true. Um, and it's it's a it's a false reality that is really damaging. And uh, one of my favorite books, in fact, I, I've been toying around with maybe trying to do something on twitter or on zoom uh like a book club that this this book living life backward has just been so impactful for me it's a meditation on ecclesiastes and it's a scottish pastor named david gibson who wrote it and i literally reread it probably eight or nine times it is just unbelievable and what it i mean largely is just the smelling salts right it's hey here's reality that's what ecclesiastes is here's reality and we're not going to get around it no one does kings don't get around it right and so, you know, I, I think this has pulled back the curtain on a lot of false reality. And I think that in long term, it's really healthy for us, right? Like I I have, um, despite having a lot of things to be anxious about, um, I have less anxiety right now than I've had in a long time, mostly because I realized that, you know, God is in control and I am not. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, I have started that book on your recommendation, and uh, I couldn't agree more the in a book called the Fourth Turning, it talks a lot about a paradigm shift like this where we've been in a very individualistic world. People don't believe in religion, they don't believe in institutions, they don't believe in government. they just kind of believe in themselves and what they can do on Instagram. and a paradigm shift like this gives people something to believe in again. And I hope for a lot of uh, reasons that is uh, religion uh, or something something bigger uh, rather than kind of an individualistic world. so. Hopefully, we'll will this will push people back in that direction. Yeah, um, amen. You kind of talked on uh, invest like the best, just about a kind of a mothball situation where a business basically closes up with an intent to open back up in the future. Uh, it's it's kind of a loaded question, but it, it doesn't kind of work like that. You don't just press go and just open back up. There's a lot that has to happen. Just to paint a picture for a listener is like, what happens when a business shuts down but needs to just start back up? Like, what are all the unintended consequences and things that most people don't think about?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So if you if you, uh, if you think that you can take a business and basically shutter it and then just kind of hit the button and restart it, I mean, you've never operated a business before. Um, it's, you know, that's pretty clear. And look, I, it, before I'd operate a business, I would have said the same thing. Like, what's so hard about it? You to just tell people to go away and then tell people to come back and everything will go on. Um, look, so, so if you, if you mockball something, you got to think about all the different stakeholders. So one is, uh, let's talk about the employee group, right? Um, it, things depending on how long the mothballing process goes people there's going to be nutrition there people's life circumstances are going to be different maybe people even move geographies or have new obligations as a result of the virus that they didn't previously have that would limit their ability to come to work to work full time to work a certain amount of hours right there's there's all different kinds of reasons why it, it would change. And, and plus just the inertia. Once, you know, if you, every day you get up and go to work, right? I mean, sort of the inertia of it carries you forward. If you're used to not working and you're used to not being there, just the inertia is going to be tough to get back kind of into that. So that's just one. Two, um, suppliers. I mean, your supply chain is, is being exposed dramatically right now. I mean, this is probably the unsung story of what's happening in, in especially smaller businesses. All the supply chain is focused on their large customers right now. So if you are a small customer, uh, of a larger company, I mean, you you are uh, in a really challenging position. And so, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, it's it's just the supply chain is likely not going to be there to support you. So you call up your, you know, you call up your vendors and you say, okay, we're, we're going back to work. We're going back to business. I, I want you to drop off X amount of supplies. And they say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But I mean, we're we're back up six weeks on that supply. Well, if that's a mission critical supply to your business, to, you know, your manufacturing operation or whatever it is. I mean, you, there's nothing to do. So now you got a further delay, right? So there's sort of the restart isn't like you push the button and sort of day one stuffs coming, you know, for sort the of finished product pops out the other side. Get all these ingredients that come into the mix. So you know, and you can think about that. It's not you know most products have a lot of different recombinations of other things and sort of raw supplies and and where that supply chain really matters. And so if you think about it, you're you're going to have likely at least one or two of your vendors. They're going to have major hiccups. And then you got to go resource. Well, you got to restart the relationship. Well, it takes time. You got to negotiate a contract. What are payment terms, right? Like all those things. So it's just the, sort of the friction on that side. I mean, let's go to your customers. It's not to say that your customers are going to say, we want the product, right? So now you, you got to go back out and got to sell, right? Most products don't sell themselves, right? This is why they're salespeople. So you got to go back out and restart. Uh, oh, by the way, you've got a finance problem. You know, what, where's the capital coming from? So, you, so, you know, let's say your vendors, you know, you don't have anything throughputting putting the system. So there's no cash coming in. You got to go out and buy new supplies. Maybe the supplies you've had on fallow, right, have rotted uh, and there's waste there. And so you got all these different kind of mixture of things. And then you've got this, the big problem of how do you finance this whole thing getting back on its feet? And then once you sell, you've got accounts receivable. You got a delay on that. Well, what happens? If, you know, let's say you're running Razor's Edge, and you say, "Okay, I got enough capital. I think I can get this thing started." And then one of your, you know, your bigger customers says, "Hey, Chris, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry, man. I mean, we're getting started too. Uh, we can't pay in net 30. We could pay in net 90 or net 120." Okay. Well, then you go to a bank and you say, "Okay, hey, hey, we have this receivable. Right? It's a good company. They're just paying us net 120." The banks right now is locked up. I mean good good like good luck trying to go originate a line of credit right now. There's no way. So you've got all these it's it's all the sand in the gears and all these stop start problems that are just really challenging. And so gosh, it hurts my heart to say this. Like, oh my gosh, like there's so many ways that that it's gonna be difficult to restart. And I think that despite all that, American entrepreneurship ingenuity is gonna is gonna win. Right. I think that people are gonna do it. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be hard. I think that one of the most dangerous situations is we get, you know, everything revved back up and then sort of go on lockdown six months later and re you know, reinterrupt everything. I think that's probably even more dangerous than just sort of one restart is having to restart multiple times. Yep. Boy, whew, if oh. we have to do that, I I'm I, yeah, I'm <laughs> not sure. That, that's I, I don't know what that's gonna look like.
1: There needs to just be one reason. I mean, if we're restarting it, it, it has to be under the notion that this is the one time we're restarting and, and we're plowing forward. Um, a yeah. second would be, I can't even imagine a second.
0: Yeah. And I, unfortunately I fear that there's a decent chance that there will be a second and even a third.
1: Wow. Well, you're right on American ingenuity and entrepreneurship prevailing over the long haul. The, the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, two years will look tough. I'll just ask that question. What's your outlook on the remainder of the year? Maybe you just answered one of them, which is a second restart. But what else do you see this year? Yeah,
0: so I, I think that there's going to be kind of three distinct periods, um, you know, sort of the lockdown period or rolling lockdown period. And and only no one knows what that's actually going to look like. Um, but I think that once we exit from that and we feel pretty clear, you know, clear that it's not going to be um, you know, further lockdowns, I think we entered kind of a wintry period, right? Where it's just, it's really tough. I mean, there's not going to be a lot of liquidity in the system. Um, You know, it's going to be tough to get, like I said, lines of credit, access to financing. Everything's just going to have, it's just going to feel like you're sort of running in mud. It's just going to feel difficult for for a period of time. And I think profitability is, you know, across the board uh, is just going to plummet across a lot of different types of companies. And then I think that we've got this period, and I don't know, you know, until we get a vaccine, it's hard for me. I would say it's a vaccine or to caveat that, a really effective therapeutic, right? And and look, I'm not a scientist. You're not a scientist. Um, I, I'm just parroting things I've heard. I've listened to tons of podcasts with uh, lots of scientists. And, and, and sort of my summary view of everything I can triangulate is, We've got at least a year, if not two years of headway to make on the vaccine side, and no therapeutic that they're currently testing is the magic bullet, and there's not going to be a magic bullet. So I think the new normal, sort of once we get past all that, so we're talking about kind of a year to two years from now, is the new normal. And what is the new normal? Well, I think you're going to see that I mean, human behavior has to be altered by this like there's just no way it's been it's been seared across the consciousness of the entire planet i just can't imagine that people are going to travel people are going to attend events people are going to do sort of the things that we're doing in mass gathering or like sort of high friction high contact opportunities with strangers in nearly the same volume and so I don't know what that looks like. I mean, it looks probably like a, a new normal for those industries. I mean, even, even churches is a good example of that. Like, I, I don't know what church attendance is gonna look like. I can tell you that um, the, the the online church attendance has boomed um, and it's been fantastic. I mean, I, I know personally that some of the numbers from, from my church here in Columbia, Missouri, and they're serving over two times, maybe even three times the number of families that they would normally be serving in this time because it's so accessible, right? Right. And so there's some really good things that come out of this. I mean, maybe maybe we need to do sort of less types, like l- less large gatherings, right? Maybe we need to focus more on small, intimate relationships. Like, that's fantastic. Like, you know, that actually makes me so happy. Like, I cannot wait to have, you know, friends over for dinner. I can't wait to cook for people and share a bottle of wine, right? Like, that would be so beautiful. And so when, when do we get back to, you know, watching NBA games live uh, or NFL games? Like, I don't know. I think that's a really challenging question. And so I think there's, you know, whether you own a hotel or you own an airline or, you know, or you supply those. I mean, let's not remember. I mean, it's, it's sort of the world's tiniest violins to the people who own these large companies. Right. I mean, many people don't have much um, empathy for them. Let's put it that way. And, and maybe rightfully so. Right. Not to make a value judgment. But let's not remember them. It's all the suppliers. So it's the, the people who help clean the hotels who will maybe own the cleaning company. Um, it's the people who are, you know, making the, the uh, aerospace partner distributing it, right? These are the small businesses that are the backbone that help, you know, help the entire economy sustain. Those are the people I really worry about, you know, and I just, I, I don't see, I don't see the new normal uh, returning back to 2019 levels for quite a while.
1: No, I agree. And even if they did it, it, You can print all the money in the world. Uh, Our economy was baked in that obviously the consumer would spend and usually spend more than they had on credit. And I think we're heading, you know, people are even if you gave somebody $10,000 right now, I think they would save it. I don't think they would go start spending it.
0: That's a, good, that's a good observation. I mean, I always think about it in terms of you've got productivity on sort of one side, right? So how per- personally productive and then sort of how does the productivity roll up to the overall economy? So you've got productivity as sort of the engine for growth. Um, and then you've got spending versus savings rates, right? And if you, you know, sort of a worst case scenario is dramatically lowered productivity and then dramatically higher savings rates. That is a recipe in a, in a consumer-driven economy for a really challenging period of time.
1: Um, we'll, we'll bring it home on a, a few kind of lighter questions. Well, I got, I got one more, and then we'll, we'll bring it home on two lighter questions. Um, is there anything that you want to see or that uh, you would have recommended out of Washington or that you hope to see going forward that might not have been announced yet or an idea that you have?
0: Well, so, you know, we, we, we put out a policy memo, um, gosh, probably a month ago now, um, before anything had been enacted that, you know, really called for uh, the two, there were four parts, but kind of the two big parts were backstopping or copay on employment. And then the other one was access to long-term cheap capital, right? I mean, those are the two things that as a business owner, you, you know, would be really helpful now we did kind of a, a version of both of those weirdly enough in the the CARES act which is you've got these loans which are super cheap and then forgivable and it's just be used for payroll so in essence you're 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 kind of blending those two things together um, i think longer term but the, the problem is okay, maybe we can back up and just short commentary on on CARES act it, it's really helpful to businesses that are a little hurt but not a lot hurt if your business is a restaurant and, and it's all based on employment you can't, there's nothing to employ. Like there's there's nothing to do, right? I mean, you, you can't, you're not going to run a takeout operation that's nearly the same scale and size as your normal operation. So you're just not going to employ the people and the money then doesn't get, you know, doesn't get doled out in the same way, right? There's really nothing to do with it. Or if you own a hotel or if you own, you know, sort of destination or an events business or even, you know, on and on and on, right? Whatever's been affected. So so if you, if you look at it from that perspective, I, I think that l- longer term, and I mean, I think there's at least one more, reloading probably of the CARES Act that happens here shortly. I mean, the money ran out today. We're talking on Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, um, 16th. Um, the money ran out this morning. So there's no more, there's no more CARES Act money uh, under the PPP loans. And I think those will get reloaded. There's a lot of people who didn't participate that needed to. Um, I think you'll see a lot of political pressure. But I think longer term, I think that you will see a kind of a bifurcation to these two buckets, which is backstopping or co-pay on payroll and then sort of a long-term cheap capital those are just obvious it's not like we're geniuses that we created though it means like we just sat around and said okay what as business owners what do we need what would be helpful to us you know here's kind of what we put forth and then you know hopefully there's you know enough rules and regulations around it where you you know you're going to have bad actors that's not the problem I mean, the problem is is if you design something that has clearly negative externalities that you didn't foresee and i mean we're already starting to see that in some of the Unemployment, uh, paid leave stuff as part of the CARES Act. Where you know, depending on your income level, where you live, and and your you know, sort of local economy, state rules, all the stuff. There's a there's a pretty big swath of the of the population that can actually make more money right now by not working than by working. That's not blaming them. That's just stating a fact, right? And so I think those are the types of things that you probably don't want to incentivize. Um, you want to incentivize people to keep working if they can. If there's a job to be has, there's a job to be done. It can be done safely. We want to keep America working as much as we possibly can.
1: Yep. I love it. There's a gentleman in, in Omaha that's been eerily quiet throughout this whole time. If you had to predict maybe some of the bullets that he's fired over the last 30 days, anything interesting that that you think he's been up to?
0: I mean, I, I can't imagine the... the... Berkshire's not going to pull the trigger on a couple big acquisitions. It just doesn't make any sense to me if they would. I think the the problem is their biggest competition is the the government, and you know the government can print money and Berkshire can't. And so, I mean, (laughs) uh, Mnuchin is probably his biggest competitor, ironically. (laughs) Um, You know, um, it's 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 kind of a funny thing to say. I I still think there's going to be look the economy is huge, and there's going to be such weird oddities of these overlapping. Interlocking mosaic of government assistance. That certainly there's going to be businesses that fall through the cracks. There's just no way there wouldn't be. And so I think if you if you look at that, I, I would be shocked if there weren't some pretty big moves being made. And by the way, we have no idea how this plays out. It may be that you know the next three even six months they don't do anything, um, but then there's a second sort of aftershock ripple that happens, and then that's when they you know sort of kick it and act. Um, you know if they if they get out of this without um, investing much, deploying much capital, you you gotta wonder if if they're not gonna just start buying back, you know, massive amounts of shares and sort of uh, sending the capital they have back out into the shareholders' pockets. Because I mean, if you can't deploy capital now and you weren't deploying capital before, I mean, what you gotta basically conclude is you've gotten so big that you, you know your competitors, the government, the government's gonna scoop up any opportunities before you can. That's yeah. basically, what you gotta
1: conclude. That's a really good. That's a good observation. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that—the government being the the largest competitor. But that that money bazooka is uh is real, and they keep reloading it. So we'll see what they do with it. <laughs> exactly. All right, the final question: What is your haircut going to be? You said yesterday it was either a buzz cut or frat tastical. Have you figured out what it's going to be?
0: Man, I I uh, I, I keep to, well. I guess the the doing nothing is frat tastical, right? Uh, just going to grow out and look like. Uh, look like a Southern fat boy for here for a while. Um, I, 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 usually keep my hair pretty short. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm desperate for a haircut. I would love to get a haircut. Um, in fact, I'm thinking about trying to bribe, um, the, uh, the woman that cuts my, my family's hair to somehow uh, break quarantine and, uh, you know, socially distance as much as we can. I'll put on a hazmat suit except for my hair and, <laughs> You know, and uh and 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 have her, you know, visit us or something. But uh it, it looks like for the time being, until I get so fed up with it, I'm going fantastical. And then it's gonna be one day I'm just gonna pull out the, the buzzers and just just go nuts. So
1: Fair enough. We'll see. Brent, thank you very much for your time. I know you you it's precious. Um, but this was awesome and and great to catch up.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful to catch up. Thanks, Chris, for having me on.
1: Okay, buddy, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.